You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. And we sort of realized that, you know what, like Run Happy is not a campaign. It's, it's really part of our ethos and, and who we are. And, and so it's really the foundation of sort of everything we do. That was Matt Weiss. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Thanks for tuning in to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. It's no secret, if you're a regular listener, that I'm a huge fan of Brooks Running and a devout ghost wearer for all of my endurance running events. I'm super excited to connect you with today's guest, Brooks Running Director of Marketing, Retail Events and Sports Marketing, Matt Weiss, and Senior Footwear Product Line Manager, Jenna Winger. Both Matt and Jenna have been deeply immersed in the brand, product, and culture of Brooks for years. And of course, they are both passionate about running. Matt and I sync up about his personal running story, Brooks Running company history, and the philosophy behind the brand's motto, Run Happy. We also talk about Brooks' role in American distance running, their famous running club, Brooks Beasts Track Club, the company's partnership with the Hansons, and this year's Olympic trials. Jenna and I get technical and do a deep dive into Brooks' running philosophy and concept, Run Signature, and the spectrum of shoe styles they offer for all types of runners. We talk float versus feel, cushion and speed, building a quiver of shoes for all types of terrain, shoe mileage, drops, the minimalist running movement, determining your naturally habitual motion path, midsole technology, and Jenna shares the story of where her running journey began. Brooks Running Company sells its performance footwear, apparel, sports bras, and accessories in more than 50 countries worldwide. Brooks' purpose is to inspire everyone to run and be active by creating innovative gear designed to keep runners running longer, farther, and faster. Founded in 1914, Brooks is a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway, Inc., and is headquartered in Seattle. You can go to their website, brooksrunning.com, for more information. You can follow them on social at Brooks Running on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can visit our website, marnieonthemove.com, and follow Marnie on the Move on Instagram and Facebook at Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Open your app. Scroll past our episodes, click on write a review, leave five stars, and tell us what you love. Today's episode is sponsored by Mad Ritual CBD, my favorite CBD healing balm and supplement company. And trust me, you're going to need it after all this running talk. Now, on to the episode. Thanks so much for hopping on a call with me today. I'm so excited to talk to you about my favorite running shoe brand, Brooks Running. So you're from New York originally? I grew up in Westchester, yep. Went away to college, came back to New York. After college, I worked at 
uh, Westchester Roadrunner, which is a great running store in White Plains. And uh, and then I started with Brooks as a tech rep in 2005. Um, and at that point, we were really kind of small, up-and-coming run brand. We were probably a sixth or, this, or a seventh of the size that we are now. We really had maybe one good shoe. Uh, so the brand was just in a really different position back then. Yes. Running was much smaller. Like even race participation, the number of retail locations, everything was, was a little bit smaller back then. And, you know, it's been just an incredible ride with the brand. I was a tech rep in New York for about three years and moved to Seattle. And then I, I worked on the sales side. So for about six years, I was a sales manager, first with the East Coast and then national sales manager with a, kind of a team working on, on the specialty retailers. And then I moved over to the marketing team about three and a half years ago. I and mean, I've kind of been working working on that side of the business ever since. So it's been, it's been a good ride. That's amazing. I mean, I know that everybody that works at Brooks has some kind of running story. What's your background in running? Yeah, I'm, sort of, I'm kind of like a, a classic uh, running nerd, I guess, for lack of a better term. So well, I, that's really where uh, it started, right? Running nerds. It was like that fringe hippie yeah, culture yeah, I, in the I, 70s. I, I ran in high school and I just was like super into the sport. Like I couldn't, you know, this was pre-internet days. So like I was devouring as much material as I could get. Like I'd read track and field news every month, you know, all, all the publications. And I'll never forget, I, I got it when I was 16 or when I was 15, my dad was like, you have to get a job. And it was either working for him or my hope was to work at the local running store. So I started working at the local running store and I was probably there for a few months when a, a sales rep came in one day and at that point, like I was like, oh, wow, this is a job. And that was kind of it. So from that point forward, it was really, for me, it was like, okay, I want to get in the industry. I want to work for a brand. Like this is all I wanted to do. And so, you know, maybe I should have aimed higher. Like I should have aspired to be like president or something. And I, I could have set my sights on that. But no, but I'm, I'm super happy. It's been, it's been a really good ride with Brooks. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's an amazing industry to be a part of you're making products and, and selling products that people love to use. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I think whenever I'm having a, a tough day at work or, or something's not going right, um, you know, you go out and you watch people run or, you know, you go for a run yourself and you just see that people like they really enjoy kind of the products you're making and, and, and what we stand for. And so for us, it's, it, it's really fun to come to work every day and get to do what we do. And now Brooks has been around for over 100 years. Do you, what's the story of where it began and how has it evolved over the years? So, yeah, so Brooks was founded in 1914, um, which is uh, kind of drummed in, in your head when, you, when you're a, a, a tech rep here because you pretty much start every clinic with that. And when it was founded, you know, you can imagine like the, the world was a very different place back then. They were really making shoes for, for people to wear, you know, just so it started with kind of boots and, and, and things that, that you'd wear all the time. And, and it evolved into sports shoes over the years. And, you know, in, through the 30s and 40s, the way the business worked was you kind of had to keep the factories going all year. So you'd so pretty much every brand would make shoes for all sports because you'd have to make baseball cleats for the spring and then make football cleats in the fall, basketball shoes in the winter, bowling shoes, ice skates. So they were really making tons and tons of different products because they were trying to keep their their factories open and keep the lines in, in production. And so Brooks became this brand that was making products for 
a huge variety of sports, and that really continued through the 70s and, and into the early 80s. Um, you know, Dan Marino wore Brooks cleats his rookie year. The Pittsburgh Pirates uh, all wore Brooks cleats when they won the World Series in 1979. You know, we, we have some That's so cool. around our building. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting. And then, you know, the company in the, the 80s and 90s sort of fell on some, some hard times. Some of it was poor decisions in terms of product decisions, uh, certain manufacturer decisions. And, and so it was a real ro- rocky time through the through the 90s. And then in the early 2000s, I mean, 2001, Brooks had their, you know, we took on our fourth president in, I think, the, the previous two years. It was a guy named Jim Weber, who is still our president and CEO today. So he, and he was really the one who took a hard look at the business. And at that point, we, we were making a ton of product and we were losing money on most of the shoes we were making. Uh, we were losing money with some of our, our biggest accounts. We, we, were, we were selling shoes at a loss to them just to kind of keep things going. Um, and Jim took a look at the business, and there were really two shoes at that point that were profitable for us, and they were motion control shoes. So it was the Addiction and the Beast, which are wow, still shoes that are in so our line today. Yeah. I mean, he really decided, you know what, we're going to focus on performance run. And his, his belief then is really still the belief we have as a brand now that, you know, performance categories are timeless. Uh, people are always going to um, seek performance product for end use in, um, in, in certain categories, and, and running is one of them. People, runners are always going to be extremely discerning about product. They're always going to want product that's going to allow them to enjoy their run. I mean, it's going to be something that they're going to invest in. And so we really doubled down on performance run. We got rid of virtually the, the entire line. And, and so since, since 2001, that, that's been the focus of the brand, and, and it remains that way today. It's, it's a performance run brand. Uh, we, we try to cover off as many categories as, as we think there are runners and, and experiences that runners want. So not every runner wants the same thing from a shoe. Right. Um, I know you wear the Ghost, and, and the Ghost is a really different feel than the Levitate. Is a really different feel than the launch. So we try to create these shoes really around the experience the runner wants and, and then have product that delivers on that experience so that no matter what you want, whatever your biomechanic needs are, we're, we're going to have something that's going to resonate with you. I think what's great about Brooks Running and what I've noticed is that you guys don't really change the fun, like the shoe over the years. And I know I'm going to be having another conversation later about this, but I do think that it's it's great that runners can trust that Brooks Running will have, you know, if I've been running in Ghost for 10 years, right? And, you know, maybe there's a design change or a little thing here or there, but for the most part, they're the same shoes I can depend on every time I go out for a run or for a race and I know that they're going to work for me. Yeah, I mean, if we really, you know, and, and I'm sure Jen will speak to this, but, yeah. you know, really for us, the the – uh, the driving force behind our product is run signature, which yeah. is this philosophy that every kind of runner has their own unique way of running and that there are these product experiences that sort of align to that. And really for us, it's not necessarily about making a shoe that does X, Y, and Z, but it's really about starting with the experience that the runner wants. So I want a, I want a soft plus shoe that's going to keep me injury free and, and help me uh, forget about my run. You know, I, I right. just want to put on something soft and go out and run um, versus somebody who says, you know what, I want a really responsive, lightweight shoe that, you know, I'm going to put on and I'm going to feel it because I want to feel the road on this run today. So for us, it's really about let's start with the experience and let's design product off of that. And so you will see the ghost evolve and change over time. Yes. But as long as we're honoring sort of that original promise 
around what the shoe is made for and the experience that it's made for, um, then it should be true to, to the runners who love it. Speaking of runners, you have a philosophy, run happy. That kind of speaks to what you just said, right? That you have a saying, run happy, the company that runs more often runs better. Where did that come from? Yeah, run happy. It was it was a campaign we we ran, and then it went away, and then it was you know as you have, you know, you have these campaigns that that come and go, and after a few years of doing other things, it, it was just one of those things that we couldn't get away from unhappy. Like every, our, our <laughs> yes. customers, our, our retailers, our, our runners kept saying like. They just loved Run Happy. And we sort of realized that, you know what, like Run Happy is not a campaign. It's it's really part of our ethos and, and who we are. And, and so it's really the foundation of sort of everything we do. I mean, and, and what I think is so beautiful about Run Happy is that it's really about the individual. You know, we talked about your run in terms of run signature. It's going to be, you know, like everyone runs a unique way. Well, your Run Happy is unique. For some people, it's training and competing and, and this really, you know, serious, you know, goal-oriented mindset. And for other people, it's, you know what, this is the 30 minutes of peace that I get every day that helps me maintain my sanity. For some people, it's, you know, how they're you know, maintain a, a healthy lifestyle. You know, whatever it is, you know, run happy isn't run easy. It's not run hard. It's it's really about sort of this internal, personal joy. And, and, and so it's about that quest for whatever it is that makes you run happy. And we want our product to help make that easier. So so if it's footwear, we, we want it to keep you, you know, keep you running and, and delivering the experience you want. If it's apparel or run bras, we really want it to, to sort of take the distractions away and just let you get out and run. It's a great mission and brand philosophy because I think even somebody who just finished the marathon for the first time, you know, people always say, just be happy. <laughs> and you're like, if my sneakers feel good and I feel good, then it's just up to me mentally to feel happy. And you guys have a lot of amazing athletes that you sponsor, which sort of began. Brooks played a big role in the American distance runner community in the 70s. Who were some of the first runners that you sponsored? And obviously right now, Des Linden is your one of your big athletes and Dana Harry. Yeah. So, so, you know, in the seventies, you know, we, we, you know, we, we touched on a little bit when talking about the history of the brand, but, you know, we were involved in, in a lot of sports back then. And so, you know, there was, um, you know, there was uh, a lot of runners over the years that Brooke sponsored you. We sponsored Greg Meyer in the early 80s, and he won the Boston Marathon in 1983. And, and until Meb, he, he had been the last American to win on the male side for, it was about 30 years, give or take. So Brooks had a really long legacy in running. And then, and then again, you know, as the brand sort of went through its fits and starts in, in the 90s and, and early 2000s, we, we sort of lost our way. And as we doubled down on the, on the sport, it was really important that we worked with elite athletes, not just to validate our brand, although that's a really important part of it, but for us, it was really to have an emotional connection to the run um, and, and, and to give back to the sport. Um, and, and so we started working with uh, the Hansons in 2003. And that was really the beginning of what I'd say is kind of our modern sports marketing program. I mean, so at that point, Kevin and Keith had, had started this, and they had started the program in 1999. And for them, it was really about this return 
of American distance running. You know, at that point, the U.S. was had fallen behind just in terms of investment in the sport, funding in the sport, and, and we were seeing it borne out in, in race results on, on a global scale. And, right. and you know, you, you started to see a lot of different groups kind of come to tackle this. And so the Hansons did that in 2000. They, so they started their program in 1999. Mm-hmm. We came on board in 2003. And one of the big things for us was at that point it was it was a male it was only male program and, and it was we we want this to be a, a fem, you know male and female program they wanted that as well they just didn't have enough money they were funding this all from their own pockets and so we we invested with them and, and in 2004 the Hansons became a, a men's and women's program which which was an amazing program and, and Kevin and Keith have been incredible partners since then they've given an immense back to the sport uh, through themselves and, and then obviously through their teams. And so this will be the fifth Olympic trials that will in February that, that we'll go to as a sponsor of, of the of the Hansons program. And we're super excited about that. Um, they've got 10 athletes who have qualified so far for, for next year's trials. Um, and, and over the years, you know, they, they've had upwards of, of almost 20 qualifiers in, in the past before. So it's been it's been an incredible partnership for us. And, and you know, they, they obviously also own stores in Michigan. And so, you know, they're, they're a partner for us on, on that side as well. And so, we, you know, for our brand, you know, we, we have a really kind of in-depth relationship with the Hansons. And so in 2007, Brian Sell made the Olympic team running for them. He qualified in the Olympic trials in New York. And then Desi made uh, the 2012 and 2016 Olympic team running for them. And then, and then obviously she, you know, famously won, won Boston last year, kind of in that epic, incredible day. And you know, she just continues to be amazing in terms of her ability to show up at these world marathon majors, compete on the global scale, just understanding how to execute on race day like no one else. You know, I mean, marathons are really hard and you get these incredibly challenging conditions that you can't necessarily plan for or prepare for and and the fields are obviously outstanding and so you know she she's been she's been an unbelievable athlete for us and then in 2012 we started the brooks beast track club which is based out of seattle so so it's based out of the office and that's a, a track program that we fund as well. Um, and so that's about a dozen athletes who are based out of here, although obviously throughout the year they're at training camps or they're competing. They're based out of Seattle, not based out of Brooks running. They're based out of Seattle. But yeah, but one of the, one of the important things for us with the program is that the athletes are um, they're, they're given access to our building. So they'll eat lunch here. They can use our gym facilities. Um, we actually do a internship program with the athletes in the fall because it's kind of their downtime. And so starting on Monday, you know, the, the beast athletes, if they want to, can pick a department at Brooks and they get six to eight weeks can kind of intern with them, get, get their hands dirty, kind of understand that the side of the business as well. So we really want the athletes to, to understand the business and, and the brand and, and not just kind of be wearing our singlet and, and not really knowing who they who who they're representing, and so those, those those programs for us are great because I think they're a great way for us to extend our values and what we believe in to to people competing in the sport. That's incredible. I mean, especially because a lot of athletes start out so young and then their careers, you know, sort of die down when they're like later in their. Th- I mean, not everyone. It's a blanket statement, but like in their late thirties, yeah. and they need to go on to do other things, whether it's like launch a school or be a coach or build a brand or whatever. So it's good that they get that education in the workforce and marketing or whatever department they try to run in. Also, I think it's a good, it's a great program. Well, it works both ways. You know, we we yeah. get a lot from the athletes too. I mean, you know, I mean, it's they have a really unique view on the world of running. 
yes. and just their experiences that they have. And, and there's insights that I think they can share with us, whether it's refining product or messaging to youth audiences or whatever that, you know, it's been it's been a really helpful program for us in terms of being able to tap into to them as well. That's amazing. And then speaking about, you know, tapping into audience and understanding like the running from from their perspective. I mean, do you feel like as a runner, there's a lot of lessons that you personally have learned through running that have helped you with your career? The thing about running, I, I think that's been the most the biggest takeaway for me in my career is running is not necessarily linear. You know, you can go out and train and uh, you can work really hard and not necessarily see gains. And then all of a sudden something clicks. I mean, and so, you know, it's not like going up a staircase where everything is equidistant. And, you know, if I do this, then I'll get this and I'll do this and I'll get this. The thing about running is it's a little bit more exponential. You know, you have to do things for a while and then, you know, all of a sudden you you see game. And and so I think you learn patience from it. I I think you learn commitment from it. You know, I think you learn constancy of purpose, having a long-term goal that that you can really drive behind. Um, And and I think it's a really good lesson for business, right? In that, like, you have to show up every day. You have to have long-term vision. You have to have constancy of purpose and a real alignment to your mission. And those are all things that, as a runner, you need to have because there's going to be tough times. There's going to be times when you do everything right. It just doesn't work out on race day for whatever reason. But if you're if you're doing everything right over the long term, you're, you're going to see benefits. I mean, and, and that's probably been the biggest takeaway I've had from you know applying to to how I work. I feel the same way. I mean, I think with me running, it's like you set goals, you pick races, you try to achieve them. It doesn't happen overnight. Nothing is overnight. You don't just like wake up and win a race. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into it and training and hard work. I know you guys work with November Project and you are very involved with the Special Olympics. Are there any things that you might want to talk about related to November Project or Special Olympics? No, no. I mean, I, I think for us, you know, running and sharing stories about the run and really sharing the inclusivity of the run is important for us. You know, running is, we think it's the most inclusive sport there is. You don't really need to sign up. You don't need a ton of equipment. There's not a huge barrier to entry. And so because of that, running at all levels is, is, is a really inclusive sport. And so what we've tried to do is use our platform and, and use sort of our brand to tell stories about the inclusivity of the run and and, and also to to do good around inclusivity of the run. So, you know, Special Olympics is a really unique opportunity for us because they were hosting the USA Games here in Seattle. And the track portions were going to be at at University of Washington, which is just a few miles from our office. And we signed up as a brand, as as a sponsor, and, and we worked with them on activations. And, and one of the amazing things was, you know, we had to provide a certain number of volunteer days as, as an organization. And we doubled what we had been asked to commit. And, and what was amazing was, you know, the, the number of volunteer days we had versus the number of employees we had, virtually every employee, you know, the, the math worked out that every employee spent two days volunteering. Uh, so it was really incredible. It was, it was really special moment for the brand because one, it was an incredible amount of work for us to, to do everything. So we really had to rally as a team to do it. And secondly, it was really great for us because we, again, we, we got to share the inclusivity of the run. We got to share running with, with people. So uh, one of the things we did was we fit every athlete for a pair of shoes 
So athletes, they, they, they do a, what's called a healthy athlete program. So there's all sorts of screening for the athletes to go through to, to get health and wellness checkups. And, the, and if they, they did them, then they got a free pair of shoes and we fit them up for shoes. So we had a team of people who were there it was about eight hours a day for, for a week, just fitting people for shoes and, and making sure they, they got the right pair of shoes. And, and for some people, it was, you know, the, the, the first time they had been properly fit for a pair of shoes. For a lot of people, it was their first time getting free shoes. So it was this really That's great moment for our brand where we got to, yeah, we got to kind of spread that. And you get to talk to the athletes and the runners and have conversations yep. and connect with them. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, like when, when we were volunteering, it was at events. So it was, you know, raking the long jump pit. It was handing out water on the track. I mean, and, you know, this was the first week of July, so it was hot. So, you know, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of things that we had to do just, just to help people stay kind of, you know, being able to compete and everything. So um, it was a really cool moment for our for our, our company. You know, people are measuring the shot put who had never measured the shot put before and, and doing stuff like that. And then, you know, the other thing for us, you know, we made a, a special Olympic shoe and we gave, you know, $10 of the sale of every shoe back to back to the games. And so we we were on site selling the shoe and, and it was really great because, you know, then you really got to interact with people. They were coming to our booth to buy, but also, you know, we were kind of right in the middle of the athlete village. So you'd get, you know, just people coming by every day on their way home and, you know, having conversation. And so it was, it was a really great moment for our brand. I promise you that we got more out of it than we gave. And for us as a brand, it was, it was a really special moment. And Front Runners, you know, we have a partnership with Front Runners and, and it's, it's a similar concept in that, you know, we want to share the, the inclusivity of the run and tell stories and, and help people I mean, and give back to the sport. So, you know, this is, I mean, it's a program for us to, to help and fund those chapters regionally. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's also another way to, to share stories about giving back. And our, and our, our biggest give back program um, we, we do is the, is the Brooks Booster Club. And one of the things we've found just in, in working events over the years is, you know, youth running. So high school running is, is one of the biggest. Um, is that what the, bo- the, the Boosters sport. Club is? It funds uh, high school track programs, okay. basically. And, and so we found that youth programs were kind of one of the most underfunded areas of the sport. In certain cases, I should say. Obviously, there, there's there's certain programs that are that are very well funded, but right. uh, but but that you had these these pockets where um, you'd have teams that either couldn't couldn't exist or teams that were going away because funding for sports was, was getting cut. And you know we you know there's all these stats that you know children involved in sports are more likely to succeed in school, more likely to go on to a secondary education, you know, more likely to, to, to really succeed in life. Um, and so for us, it was, it, it's an opportunity to one kind of give access to the sport. And, you know, when we talk about run happy, you know, like what's more run happy than, than helping a team stay alive that, that was, was slated to go away. Yeah. Um, so every year we, we take applications for the Brooks Booster Club. And this year we funded a little over 30 schools. Um, are they so usually they some gear? They get some money um, and we're able to, to give back to them that way. Are they usually local to you in Seattle or are they all around the nation? No, we, we get we we open this up to applications from all over the country. So this year, you know, there was a, a few from Washington. But uh, I think at this point, I think we've funded schools in 42 states, 43 states, something wow. like that. We've got a couple to go. 
so we, we just had our uh, one of our, our big meetings last week with our, our, our sales meetings was last week, and, and we rallied uh, around the seven states that, that we need to get. Um, and, and so we sort of challenged the, the folks in those states to help us find some schools. There's some in New England, and then there's some in like the, the central parts of the country. So Brooks Running does a lot of race sponsorships around the country. Also, are you still do you still have a partnership with Rock and Roll Marathon? Yep. So we, uh, we're a footwear and apparel sponsor for Rock and Roll Marathon, Twin Cities Marathon, Pittsburgh Marathon, and Marine Corps Marathon. Oh, wow. Okay. And then some local races in, in the Seattle area as well. So that really gives you a chance to kind of connect with your runners as well, like from behind the desk and onto the scene and really like talk to runners and understand what they're looking for in their shoes as well. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, those, those sponsorships are great because one, like everyone there is a runner. Right. So there's lots of things we can do. You know, you can take out an ad and, and some people who see it are runners, but not everyone. But but if you go to a race, pretty much everyone there is, is not just a runner, but they've committed to run. They've paid money to, to do a race. They've yeah. trained for months. The interactions we have there, we, we learn a ton from. And it's really, I would say, the heart and soul of our brand, right? The start line of a race is, is just sort of the foundation of the sport. And so for us, it's a great chance to go out and connect with runners, to create activations that we think runners will like, to help them get to know who we are and what Run Happy stands for, and to and to really engage and, and be reminded ourselves of, of what the sport is all about. Brooks Running is available at stores. Yeah. Yes, we're 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 in the in the U.S. and Canada. We're really widely distributed. So you know, yes, we're certainly in every state, and you know, we're in about twenty five hundred doors nationally. When you add kind of add all that up. We've got a big business in Europe and then, you know, big business in Australia and, and some other parts of the world. And, and then, you know, there's a lot of emerging running markets that we're, we're really excited to go in and, and, and partner with and, and grow and introduce the brand to runners who who are new to the sport and into markets that are new to the sport. So Would that be um, China you know, by any chance? <laughs> China, India, parts of Southeast Asia, you know, I mean, you're seeing running really start to, to grow in, in other parts of the world. Uh, and, and it's amazing because running is sort of running you know yeah. i mean th- there's definitely regional differences and and there's just differences in 2019 versus you know 1989 right. so the world's a different place so how people learn and gather information is different so the the playbook of what we did in the US we can't necessarily take everywhere because you know the markets are just so much more mature right. um from a from a media standpoint but running is running running um, is and, running and, and and we see that you know and we see that you know in, in markets that have had Brooks before that, that Run Happy resonates. Now, Run Happy might be different in the U.S. than right. it might be in, in other markets, just based on sort of cultural sensibilities. But the idea that running betters your life, that it makes you happy, that it kind of makes you the best version of yourself, that, that's pretty universal. And so th- that's really fun for us to, to see this grow and, and, and continue around the globe. I remember seeing Brooks had launched a like a pop-up retail concept where people could go in and uh, was it create their own shoe or was it like a custom shoe or did that like? Yeah. So, so what we did was we partnered with a company called FitStation basically um, to work on personalized footwear. And so this was, um, they had these sort of scanning platforms in, in about 25 retailers. And what it was, was, you know, the, the goal would be, you know, we, we talked about run signature at the very beginning. And, and the goal is, you know, to, to get you kind of the right product for your run. And in terms of fit, 
in terms of feel, in terms of ride, all of those kind of things. Um, and so our goal is to, you know, is to leverage kind of newer technologies, newer manufacturing processes, and, and really deliver on this concept of personalization. You're seeing this, you know, come to life in, in a ton of other consumer products. Right. Footwear is really hard to build. Yes. So it, the complexity yeah. is great, and, and we've learned a whole lot from it. Um, and it remains something that, that we're committed to. It's, it's a longer-term vision, I'd say at this point, just given complexities and learnings and things like that, because we're not just talking about changing a color of a shoe or or changing the laces or something like that. It's really about the manufacturing process and making it truly um, specific to you. And so to do that at scale, there's a lot of complexity that that, that we're working through and we're we're learning a ton about. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, I love the idea. You know, I, I definitely could see it being something like at scale that would be challenging just because it's very personalized. We're committed to delivering the ideal ride for your run, right? So that's that's run signature, right? Everyone's yes. got a unique signature. Like so we wanna we wanna deliver it. My and I think for us the challenge is um just um you know, we've been able to do it through our inline footwear and I and I think we're getting better and better at, at creating these unique experiences within the line. I think the personalization dynamic is is just it's coming and, and we'll get yeah. there and it remains something we're super focused on and excited about, but I mean, it's just, it's really, it's really challenging. Yeah. Brooks running is a very purpose driven company as we have heard from talking to you, especially over the last in this conversation and you're very conscious of your social impact. And I know that's a big initiative now with brands and something that's in your DNA, I would say. What kind of initiatives do you have that you might be interested in talking about that we're sharing yeah, I mean, so there's, you know, there's kind of two buckets here, right? One is around the product and the manufacturing processes, and and um, being as you know responsible to the to the planet, I, I guess, as we can be. And then I think the other is the brand and, and what we stand for. So, kind of on the manufacturing side, I think we're constantly looking for ways to reduce waste, to to build product more efficiently, to 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 use. Um, either post-consumer, recyclable materials. You know, th- there's materials that are better for the earth. All those kind of things. So, so on, on the product side, it re- it's a constant, it's a constant work in progress for our development teams and, and and our corporate social responsibility teams to to try to figure out how can we how can we get better, right, without compromising the integrity and the performance of the product, because that's sort of this foundational element that that we can't give away. But but how do we how do we make the the world a better place to, through how we're how we're manufacturing? I mean, and then the second is as a company, right? And so some of it's our give back programs that we talked about and, and what are we doing to to make running more inclusive and more accessible and, and how can we give back? How can we do more? We're constantly challenging ourselves with how do, how do we do more in this space? And then it's as a company. So how are we creating a, a work environment that's inclusive, that's attracting um, really talented people, but also, you know, developing those people, helping them grow and, and, and creating a, a workplace that that we're all not just proud to work at, but that we're that genuinely is making our community and, and our city a better place. And it's authentic to your brand culture running. You know, I'd say for us, like the where we're sold. Yeah, we, yes. You asked kind of that macro question, but, yes. you know, I, I think one of the big things for us is it's sort of our commitment to the, to the specialty running channel. So the independent retailers, there's been a lot of change in the retail landscape, just broadly speaking. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're seeing the rise of, you know, 
Amazon and, and, and all these huge internet businesses. For us, what we found is run specialty remains sort of this core cultural component of the sport of run. And we've really doubled down on our support of the channel. And, and it's, 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 a group of retailers that built our brand that we have a lot of affinity for, uh, but they are the ultimate arbiters. of, um, And we know very quickly if we make a shoe, if it's any good, just based on the specialty run channel, you know, in, in a few days, we can tell if they're buying more based on their behaviors, if we've got a winner on our hands. And so the the retail component is really important to us. I mean, and, you know, obviously we're really, we're a premium brand. So we try to be very, very mindful of that in terms of where we're sold and, and, and who supports us. But but I think for us, you know, continuing to, to, to win and specialty run is important. They're building local run communities. They're leading training groups and, and run, run, uh, weekly fun runs and, and programs like that, and, and I'm underselling what they're doing. They're they're doing a million different things, but uh, for for us, it's it's um, it really aligns with, with our mission and kind of what we stand for. But but winning winning there is 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 a hugely important part of of who we are and what we stand for. I think it's so interesting that you bring that up because I do see in New York City, you know, a lot of our specialty retailers. We, you know, we are also part of that equation. Our marketing company, we do a lot of events and help these retailers drive business to their stores, especially during the winter when people aren't out shopping. And I've seen, you know, events that you've done with Jackrabbit and Paragon and other stores in the city. So I think it's great that as a brand and as a company that is part of your mission is to work with the specialty retailers to help them support their local run communities. Well, it's, it's similar to events, right? You know, in the sense that like, you know, if you go to a marathon, like I said, very likely most of the people there are runners. You know, especially run is obviously fitting lots of people who come in who just need a good pair of shoes, but they are the, the hub of the running community. And so for us, it's, 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 a, it's a key place for us to, to go to and, and be a part of. I love all the brand support. It's because it's the retail industry is definitely struggling. So yeah, it's a nice, nice give back and a nice way to kind of support your retailers. This has been awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Uh, Well, thank you for this. Thanks so much, Matt. Cool. Thanks so much. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed the first part of our conversation with Matt Weiss from Brooks Running. Now, a word about our sponsor, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality, CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off-the-charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus, and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to my conversation with Jenna Winger. Thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. I am a total tech geek and I'm fascinated by the technology behind running sneakers and 
I'm a huge fan of Brooks Ghosts. This is great. What's your, so speaking of running and Brooks, what's your running story? What's your distance? Like, how did you, I know that everyone at Brooks has some kind of running in their background. Mine is definitely goes pretty far back. So I, I kind of came from a running family. My parents both ran in high school and in college, just down the street here at University of Washington. So I joined my first track team when I was five years old. Amazing. And yeah, I just kind of kept doing it through high school. And then I ran at a small division three school called Willamette down in Oregon and kind of any a distance cross country, but anything from 800 to 5k. Okay. Um, but my, my best event was steeplechase and then a little bit of like post-collegiate club running in Portland. And yeah, that kind of brings me up to today. I'm, I'm not quite as active right now. I'm, I look like I'm smuggling a basketball. I'm about eight months pregnant, but. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah. So now I'm kind of trying to find the balance and, and then working through, working through that. So yeah, not running competitively, but lots of walking right now and then doing orange theory and um, yoga and that type of stuff. That's amazing. So you're still mm-hmm. doing, you're still doing that even be pregnant. You're still going to like orange theory and doing all those things. I'm trying to decide literally this week, or this morning I was talking to my husband, like, okay, I think maybe I need to just do the walking and the yoga for, for this last little bit. But yeah, I, I, I did it when last Wednesday and I'm like, okay, try to figure out if it's time to call it. I've heard like stories of people continuing to like run, like, yeah. very close to the date. So I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't know how I would I feel. chose not. So I, I was told by my, o, my OBGYN that I could, yeah. but that there might be some incontinence issues down the line. Yeah, don't so I, do I chose it. not to. Yeah. I chose to do walking with an incline. That's, yeah. is this your first child? Yes. It yeah. Is. Oh, that's so cool. That's exciting. Amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about what you do at Brooks running. Yeah. I'm a product line manager on the footwear team. So I'm part of what we call like a triad that works on specific shoe projects. So that includes the PLM, my function, the shoe designer and the shoe developer. And so as a PLM, I'm kind of responsible for what does the consumer want out of this shoe or and writing the brief for, hey, here's what the next version needs to meet from the consumer, from the market perspective, from a, how big of an evolution this should be from the previous version, and work on that kind of collaboratively with the other with the other members of the team. Once that brief is handed off, it kind of goes into the designer's expertise, and that's their time to really execute on that seasonal language and, again, kind of how much they want to evolve from the previous version of the shoe. How did you get into this as a career? Because it's so interesting. Yeah, I studied exercise science in school, and then I planned to go to business school. I minored in economics, but I had an internship at a, at another footwear brand while I was in in college at a at a bigger brand, and I got that internship in part through an alumni from my team, and she told me, okay, it sounds like your interests are either like product testing or PLM. And I didn't really know what PLM meant. So I, my internship was in product testing, but it kind of was the first time that put the bug in my ear of like, oh, like maybe there's something there in my strength. So that was in like 2007. So then after, after college was 2008, pretty rough time to graduate from the job market perspective. I'd been working in the training room. I kind of did a similar path for a couple of years of working with sports medicine clinic and then worked for a startup running apparel company mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And then from there, I went back to working at a specialty retail 
running shop. It was a Fleet Feet. Actually, it was Fleet Feet in Tacoma, Washington. So, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I worked there. I helped open that store and managed it for about a year when an associate position came up as a PLM at Brooks. And Brooks was our top selling brand. Um, I could see like how much of a difference it made when it was just, it was so easy to fit people into Brooks shoes. And I was like, okay, well, they're doing something right in how they're building stuff. So when they had that kind of associate entry level role, I was like, okay, this is my, this is my one shot. I got to go all in for it. And I was fortunate and I, and I got that role and that was in 2013, I think. Oh, that's cool. So you've Um, also been at Brooks for quite a long time. That's really great. There's definitely, it sounds like something really awesome about the company that people are there for a long time. Good company culture. It must be the running (laughs) <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's all the activity and the endorphins in the, in the air. What is the philosophy of Brooks Running behind the variety of styles and shapes in the running shoes you design and the technology that goes along with it? Sure. We only build running shoes, so we definitely get super deep on why we would have multiple different types. And then there'll be technologies that kind of go along with them. We have kind of three different major categories of, of shoes that we call, that fall into what we call experiences. And the route where we started with those experiences was based on kind of out of the minimal movement. That was kind of the first time that consumers really gave running brands like a kick in the pants of like, hey, don't just keep doing what you're doing. Like we need, we need options and we want things, we don't all want shoes to feel or act the same. So that back then prompted us to create a construct of not just neutral to guidance to support to max support but added this element we called it float versus feel essentially it's like more shoe versus less shoe and and so we we had that and within that we were still thinking about okay different levels of support and all, and all that and just some would be higher off the ground and some would be lower off the ground um but we realized that we could add kind of this you know t- let's take let's take support out of it for a second if we think just about the experience people want to feel it's not just high off the ground or low off the ground. There's also this spectrum of, do you want your shoe to feel really responsive? Like it's giving you something back or do you want it to be kind of this more like plush pillowy feeling kind of like forget you have it on, just sink into it. And those are extremes. There's a spectrum within there. And so when you combine that with this idea of like more shoe and less shoe, we got to these three major categories that we have, which the first one would be cushion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's our largest category of shoes. So that's where the ghost definitely sits in that sweet spot of right. cushion where it's it's meant to be kind of like silly, pillowy and soft and it still has some responsiveness. Yes, I was going to um, say, but it's, yeah, it's yes, like a good balance. Sure. Yeah, you ran in it in New York, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, it was great. Awesome. I mean, I've been running yeah. in Brooks Ghost for ten years. I try, I've, and yeah. no matter how many times I try to change my shoe, just because I think like, <laughs> oh, I'll change my shoe, and then I, I don't, I can't, I don't, I just it doesn't work. I don't know it's, why. It's, it's like, like a Goldilocks they're, shoe. They're awesome. Yeah. So yeah, and it's knocking on the door. It goes back and forth with its partner shoe, the Adrenaline, of being our number one style. So it's definitely like. It's in that cushion, but not like overly cushioned. Like it, it sits right in the middle of that category. Yeah. And then what we do from there is we kind of, we can dial that up and get like a very cushioned shoe, which for us is, is the glycerin and the transcend. One's neutral, one's support. Or we can, you know, dial it down a little bit, but it would still kind of live in that cushion experience. And then we would oppose that to our kind of second major experience category, which is energize. And this is where some of our newer styles have come into play. So the levitate was the first one that we introduced that really exemplify this experience. And so that's kind of this 
kind of amplified level of energy return. So you're still going to get some cushioning, but the emphasis is more on like what it's returning to you in terms of energy. That's interesting. I haven't thought of shoes in that way. So I like the way you're explaining this because I'm thinking, what do I want from my shoe as a runner? Mm -hmm. And it's really making me think like, okay, I do want a little bounce and I also like the cushioning. Yeah. And it's funny because you can dial those up and down in completely different ways. And and even we're, we're so consumer driven here, but so even though like we're trying to hit like a very specific consumer mark for like, let's say the ghost, you can have some people put that shoe on. And even though we're saying, okay, it's like pretty cushioned and like with that little bit of responsiveness, like that just right amount, somebody might put it on and be like, oh, this is, this is a great, this is the most responsive shoe ever. It, it, there's so much perception differences that right. you get just from one person to the next. So we try to have kind of this ideal in mind of what, what the shoe's going to feel like. And then however someone wants it, if that's how they feel it, but that's what they like, that's fine. The third category is? So the third category for us is the speed category. We have a bunch of new stuff coming that I can't get too deep in right now, but um, that's really focused on what we call like the, the pacer mindset. The idea is like they are using this product to kind of enhance their performance, whether that's racing or even on the day-to-day if they want to, if they want a shoe that's going to help them feel faster. So we do have some shoes that have kind of delivered on that at that lower level. The launch is the most popular one that kind of is living right in there. At the it's speed kind of this level. Like lightweight. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's speed, but it's kind of just this lightweight everyday trainer. Mm-hmm. And then it can dial up from there. So like if you're a new runner, yeah. if you're just starting to run, it's very personal, right? Like finding the right shoe. I think that's why it's so hard to buy like a running shoe, especially online. Yeah. Because it is so personal. So this is kind of a cop-out, but if you're a new runner, the first thing I'd recommend is going and getting fit at a, at a specialty running store because that's going to give you the chance to make that call of like, yeah, this is the type of cushioning or responsiveness that I want to feel. Yeah, and a lot of running stores do that now and taking them for a test run. So those are the three categories that you kind of classify yeah. the sneakers in. There are there are some like offshoots of that, which get into some of the technical stuff you're talking about, like arch height. So yes. we have a, a kind of a solutions category and that helps for somebody with kind of a specific foot shape or feet move in different ways. Some are more flexible, some are more rigid. So we have some really popular shoes like the Beast or... Um, addiction or the dyad that live there and then there's also trail which is a whole nother animal we're talking about different shoes and different cushioning and different performance Mm -hmm. options and and there's also like different terrain so like you're talking about we have several trail shoes so terrain and trail is is a if you want to break it down loosely there's kind of two major categories like one's going to be like hard packed dirt um and I don't know how deep we want to get into, into trail, but like for, for, for hard packed dirt, you're going to want, you're going to still want like grippy lugs, but you don't necessarily want them to be like really deep lugs um, because you're minimizing the amount of surface area that you're minimizing the amount of rubber that's actually interacting with the ground okay. when you have deep lugs. So you can get a little closer to like the surface area traction is what you're going for. Right. Whereas if you're in like mud or like maybe like gravel or slate, something that's going to give a lot, that's when you want those big, deep lugs because that's going to sink into whatever the terrain is. And then there'll be differences in what you want on the uppers as well. How many different trail shoes do you have? We're at four right now. 
Brooks Running designs shoes for all terrains and every type of runner. I have a collection of running shoes that I'm always switching in and out of my training. I use one shoe for the track, another for distance, another for the treadmill. Is this something you would advise for runners to have multiple pairs of shoes? I would say this kind of gets into our similar philosophy of what I was talking about of why we build different types of shoes right, okay. in, in different experiences because because you know while for a newer runner that probably means okay they're going to go in and they're going to like navigate through our line and that's going to help them get to like their one shoe it's kind of like a like a bullseye shoe as you get into doing you know more different types of running you're going to want more of a called a quiver of shoes so shoes that are kind of more specific to whatever that use case and whatever you want to feel like in that situation. So yeah, so like when you're going on the track, you might want to like engage with that surface a bit more and you don't need as much cushioning because because you're not going to be out there as long. You're not going to be pounding and getting that wear and tear on your body. And so the way we have our, our line architecture set up is, is such that you it can change based on what you're doing that day. Right. So like our, our beasts, for example, many of them, like if you ask them what their primary shoe is, it's going to be like a glycerin or a ghost or a levitate or um, because when they're doing a longer run, that's exactly, they want the, the same thing that you just described. Right. Like wanting, the shoe that I was running. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they're not going to wear that for their track workouts because they want to feel fast and engaged and, and they might take something from our speed category. Um, for for a workout or um, or something like that, right? So, and that's a lot of what I do is I switch them out. Is it good for your feet to do that? Do you think to switch out your shoes for different terrain? I think generally it's considered pretty good to be just changing shoes in general. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like that idea of full body fitness. Like if you're only doing one activity, you're only going to develop the muscles for that one activity. Right. So if you try to do something different, then you're, you're going to have a hard time. There's going to be a learning curve. So I think even in, in just changing your shoes out, um, even if that's four different activities, that's going to help you to be stronger overall. So do you ever do any product recommendations? Like say I wear ghost for distance, then you would say, oh, you're a ghost distance runner. So for a sprint, you should wear this shoe. Like do you ever sell them in, in groups, like as part of marketing to like get like crazy runners like me to buy four pairs of shoes at one time? <laughs> say like if you tried this before and you wanted to try something a little different so let's take the ghost for example you you you're in the ghost and if you want to try something different if you wanted more cushioning what we do is we'd recommend a shoe that has more cushioning we'd recommend the glycerin right if you wanted a shoe that dialed up the responsiveness a little bit we'd move you across from the cushion category to the energized category to a shoe called the ricochet and and it's not like you should buy all of these it's like hey, if you want to try something new, here's how you might navigate from a shoe like the Ghost. Speaking of switching up shoes, how many miles are you supposed to have on your shoes before you turn them in or put them out to pasture? Yeah. We put a pretty broad range on it. We usually say like 300 to 500 miles. Um, the reason we do that is some people are really hard on their shoes and some people are some people weigh 90 pounds and right. there is going to be a wide range in how long a shoe's going to last so what i would typically say and and this comes from back when i was working one on one with people in in specialty running space is if you if you're running long enough you're going to start to figure out what your 
like little triggers are. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was always like my lower legs started to get just a little bit achy. And it was like, you have to be pretty body aware to some degree to, to get to this point, but, yeah. but cause you got to catch it before you get injured, of course. So, mm-hmm. but you know, for some people it's their knees, maybe hips, but if you're paying attention, it's like, okay, something felt weird. I'm going to see if it happens again after the next run, maybe. And if it does, maybe it's time to think about swapping in for your next pair. Yeah. Are there telltale signs? Like when you also, when you look at your shoes, like what to look for? It's tough to go that literal with it unless okay. it's Usually if, if you can see like if the rubber's worn through yeah. or something like that, you've probably gone too far. Yeah. And you can see on the bottom of your shoes, like I can see why I sometimes get plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. I can see where it's happening. Yeah. Which is, you, you can know. definitely see wear patterns in rubber, even if it hasn't worn down to the midsole, you can see like, okay, usually it's going to wear out in the, the lateral, the outside heel first. Mm-hmm. And then you'll probably see it on the, the medial, the inside kind of forefoot. Is, that's where you're usually, you're towing off from that big toe. So you're going to see kind of like some scuffing in there. And you can see how your foot kind of moves just by where that wear pattern is in the rubber. Yeah, that's, that's really like a good thing to look at. Talk to me about drops because I've always, like everybody talks about this, but I never, I don't really totally understand it. And I'm just curious yeah. about like, yeah. what does it mean, the drops on your sneakers and like, yeah. What kind of drops did you have? Does that factor also back into the cushioning and the performance or is that totally different? It's definitely related. Okay. So drop is the difference between the, so the midsole is the the part of the shoe that's giving you the cushioning. Mm -hmm. The outsole is the, the rubber part, essentially. When you combine those two, that the drop comes from the measurement of the tallest point in the heel Mm -hmm. and that's. That comes from literally like you have to cut the shoe in half to get this measurement. So it's not like you can't like take it from the side. You got you'd have to cut it in half to get it. So it's the tallest point in the heel and the difference between that to the to the lowest point in the forefoot. Okay. So kind of right under the metatarsal heads is where you would take that. So you take that subtraction number and that that gives you your drop or your offset. And the the number of that is between in running zero and twelve. Okay. Millimeters. So 12 is the highest, and this is folklore, but my understanding of where that came from was one of the original running shoe brands uh, needed to make room in the heel for a technology, and so they increased the heel height so that they could fit this technology into the heel of their shoe. Okay. And so that's where 12 started, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of became the norm okay. in the industry. 12 and is it the wasn't norm? until, okay. yep, yep, that's where it was. Okay. Um, not anymore. When, when the minimal movement came out and nobody, minimal could mean so many things, but drop became kind of part of what minimal meant. Right. Okay. That's what prompted, um, consumers and and eventually brands to say, okay, we need to rethink this. Like, why are we doing 12? Is there a good reason behind it? And in some cases there are, but in some cases it's not good for some people. So a low profile shoe has a minimum drop? Not necessarily. So there's definitely some low profile shoes, like really low, like very, like minimal shoes. Like you Mm -hmm. look at it and say, that's a, that's a minimal shoe that have a a high drop. Okay. Because again, we're talking about millimeters here. It's not, it's not not that big of a change. Yeah. And there's, on the other side of the spectrum, there are very highly cushioned shoes that have low drops because it's just a differential. How does the drop size affect running? 
for drop specifically, the idea is if you use a lower drop, you're closer to what your foot would be if you were barefoot. Okay, if you're on the ground, if you were barefoot and you're standing on the ground, there's no difference between your heel and your forefoot height. The ground right. is the ground. If you wanted to be landing in a position that was more similar to you barefoot, irrespective of the amount of cushioning you have under your foot, you would go closer to zero. But the thing that you, the cost of that is you're actually putting potentially more strain on your Achilles. Right. Okay. And so that's why, especially if you were to go to a very low drop from a high drop, the recommendation is to kind of like ease into it. Got it. But then in terms of shoes, neutral, stability, lightweight, you know, what do those categories mean? Okay. So earlier I was talking about our experience, our our experiences, and that's kind of half a philosophy that we have called run signature. That experience half is kind of like how you want to run. What experience do you want to have when you run? The other half of our philosophy of run signature is how does your body run? Um, How does your body move? And so this is really based on the science of biomechanics. And so I'm going to focus on neutral and stability before we talk about lightweight. But uh, um, so historically, how we have uh, in the industry recommended a a stability or a support shoe is we watched you running and we looked especially at how much your foot was, was essentially rolling in over the course of one foot strike. Um, mm-hmm. It's called pronation. So people, you might hear people say like, oh, I'm a, I'm a pronator. Yes. Or, or they might even say they're a supernator, which is basically they're kind of staying more towards the outside of their foot. That was one motion and it was, it was really easy to like tie, okay, that's what's happening in my foot. What I'm going to do to solve for that is I'm going to put like a firm piece of foam under my arch and that's going to help stop me from rolling in. Okay. So that was kind of the old way of, of doing things. And so how we have, we've evolved and you've seen a lot of other brands doing similar things is realizing that the foot doesn't really live in a vacuum. Right. Um, it's connected to everything else. And it's, it's the most adaptable. There's so many bones on your, it's highly adaptable. What we learned over the course of doing this run signature research is that kind of two major takeaways. One is we need to look further up the kinetic chain. So we look not just at the foot and, and ankle, but we started looking at the knee and how we assess a need. So hypothetically, somebody could be pronating, rolling mm-hmm. in quite a bit, but if their knee isn't changing much, then maybe they're okay in a neutral shoe. And then, so the, that the, so the first thing was look up the kinetic chain. Right. The second thing is comparing you to you. So before we said, okay, here, there, here's the right amount of pronation. Here's the, here's the wrong. Anything over this is wrong. You're broken. We have to fix you with a shoe. Now, when we're looking at your ankle and your knee, what mm-hmm. we do is we compare, we look at you not running. So currently we do this through a two-legged squat. Okay. And see, okay, what is your natural habitual motion path? Your, um, sorry, like that's when technical, you do a, but... Yeah, no, it's okay. So you do, yeah. you do a squat and you see what your natural yep. habitual motion path yep. is. So, yeah, we see, because your bones are highly individualistic. If we were just to, you know, if I was just to hold your knee and flex it, it's going to move in a very, it's going to move this very similar way over and over, but that's mm-hmm. going to be different from somebody else's knee. Right. And somebody else's joints. So people so can do this individual. at home. Like they can squat and look at how their knees move. Totally. Yep. Okay. Um, we have our, our shoe finder online actually has yes. kind of a, a easy way to do it through. It's not going to be necessarily the same protocol I'm talking about now. Um, there's some things about like flexibility and things like that, but okay. um, it should help you assess. So we would look at you squatting 
see how your knee and your ankle is moving when you squat. And then we'd watch you run and we'd look at the difference. And so somebody who is doing a, a very similar amount of motion from their baseline to running, we would recommend a neutral shoe for. We call them a low deviator. They're not deviating from their own personal baseline. And then somebody who is deviating from their personal baseline, that's when we would recommend a support shoe. Interesting. Yeah. So somebody could look like they have a very wonky stride, but that could just be their stride and we would still recommend a neutral shoe for them. Right. Because it could be how their body moves. Yep. Interesting. That's great. That's a really, that's a really good sign. And there's also, you also have something online that people can look at as well. Yes. So that's a good way for someone to kind of figure out like what shoe they should be wearing for sure. For sure. Yep. And so, yeah, we try to have kind of a, um, a rough version that will allow you to do that at home through our shoe finder. Um, but you can also, um, a lot of running stores are set up um, to do this. Yeah. To do this. Yep. Amazing. So what and do we you have? We have a whole system set up at like rock and roll expos and that whole thing. As well. Yeah. You pop up at rock and roll expo and what other events are you, do you do? We, so we do partnerships with some of our retailers. We have a great force of people called gurus. So gurus, they are awesome. They're out in the field all across the country and they will partner with local stores, whether that's a specialty running shop or an REI or a Dick's Sporting Goods, and they'll have, like, run signature days okay. where they'll, they'll bring out their, their unit and they will go through this process. Um, yeah, so they are awesome. And we, also, we have other partnerships for sure, like November Project and things like that, but we haven't gotten to the point where we're, um, we're doing, like, a run signature uh, gait analysis. Lastly, lightweight. Well, we can touch a little bit just on lightweight. The way we're thinking about lightweight now is kind of like there's this expectation. No one wants a shoe to be heavy. Right. Um, but there's definitely like scalings of light. Like if we, if we made your ghost weigh less than nine ounces, it would lose some of the substantialness that's mm-hmm. needed to be your over 10-mile shoe. Right. So we, we're trying to kind of – we always, within each shoe and each experience, we, we try to be really thoughtful of like, okay – How do we get this the lightest weight that's appropriate for its intended use? Do you get a lot of feedback from your customers? Yeah, and also just living it ourselves and knowing where we were before and knowing, you know, what other shoes that we would consider like close competitors to us, um, as well as what tools we have to work with. So Mm -hmm. like midsole foams have evolved so much in the past, I'm going to say five years, where we're getting to the point where we can build shoes that are higher off the ground, more, more, you know, more cushion, more volume underfoot, but we're still able to make them light. So we, we have to balance all of that data from customers and, um, and the market with what tools we have and, and where we can really push things. That's so cool. And is there any other technology that is like coming down the pipeline that's like really changing the game in the running world for shoes? The big thing that we're focused on is, that midsole compound conversation. So yeah. we have different midsoles in our energized experience that, than we do in our cushion experience because we, we think that only by doing that can we truly deliver something that's unique relative to one another and relative to what else is in the market. There's definitely some exciting stuff coming down even more than what's what we have out in market today. But I'd say that's probably our most exciting area of, of innovation coming down the pipeline. What do you think about shoe size and buying sneakers? I would generally size at least a half size up from what you would wear in a dress shoe. Okay. Especially for women because, yeah, the dress shoe, you want to make sure it's super snug. 
so it doesn't fall off. But with a running shoe, you, you want to leave about like a thumbnail's width between your toe and the end of the shoe. And you can play around because you, you want to feel secure. I, I think one of the best things you can do is, you know, pick the biggest size that your heel feels like it's not going to slip in. Right. And then the longer you're going to run, the more important that room is in the forefoot. I think that I made that mistake and have been making that mistake and did not realize <laughs> it until someone said something to me recently. Yeah. Because I do have, like, I have a little plantar fasciitis and mm. I'm now officially, like, destroyed from the marathon. <laughs> but oh, my gosh. It's all good. Oh, I'll be I'm fine sorry. in a couple of days. Yeah. So but I got the ghosts in a half size bigger. I haven't worn them yet, but I got them. Mm. I'm going to test it out because I think it might be a game changer for me for running. Because yeah. I run a lot, like, long distance. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and the, so the longer any individual run, the more your feet are going to swell and splay, too. So right. you need to not just have that the, the room that you need at the beginning, but, again, to, to last you the length of the run. Awesome. Is it important to take your sneakers for a test run and try them out? Yeah, I, I would say this gets a little bit into some of the stuff we talked about earlier, which is, the so one is, okay, how is it going to fit? And not just how is it going to fit when I try it on, but how is it going to fit like, you know, after, after moving a little bit in it, right. But also like, what is it going to feel like underfoot and maybe even on like different types of surfaces, if you can, like some stores have a treadmill there, or even will let you like take it out around the block. And that'll at least give you a little taste test of like how it might feel right. in different scenarios that you might use that shoe in. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the whole, that's the whole benefit of, of going to try a shoe on versus, versus buying it online, right? Is that you get that chance to try on multiple things and, and try that out. And then as far as before a race, you, especially before yeah. a marathon, you, do not you definitely, yes, you definitely need to be running, um, at least, you know, at least a long distance run in that shoe before a marathon. And I would say that that has more to do with the fit than anything else, because that is not the time when you want to be getting a blister or a hot spot or anything that's going to take away from, from that day. Yeah. Like I wore my shoes that I ran in for the race. I wore them on a couple of long runs before. So they yeah, didn't have a lot of mileage, perfect. but I broke them in to the point where like, I knew that I could run in them. That I that's I would recommend that for anyone. Yeah, I mean yeah. I did other rookie moves on race day, but that was not one of them. <laughs> yeah, was this your first marathon? Yeah, it was my I've done it was my first marathon. Oh my marathon. gosh! Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, just you know it it was intense. It was hard. It was like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yes, it was a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I usually do yeah. seventy point three like Ironman races. Oh, so by the okay. time I'm on the run my body is like beaten into submission and I can totally cruise through the run without any real problems. <laughs> yeah. But like yeah. running from the beginning is really different. Like it was, but I had a New York city is awesome. You know, I don't know if yeah. you've ever come up for the race. I haven't actually. Yeah. It's, a, it's magical. Like the energy is just so great. How often do you get that group? great a sense of community i know the running community in new york city is awesome well thank you so much this has been great yep thanks thanks marnie thanks again for tuning in to marnie on the move if you like what you hear leave us a five-star review in apple podcasts follow us on social at marnie on the move for facebook and instagram and marnie salop on twitter Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter to download to get updates, deals, giveaways, 
and information on future events. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. <laughs>